Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. Amen. How do you follow that? Well, good morning, Northridge. My name is John. If we haven't met yet, I'm the new groups pastor here at Northridge. Been here since uh, about July. My wife and my three kids, we moved here uh, in July. I just said that. That's weird. Um, anyway, and we, uh, we moved here from Denver, and we are excited to be here. Uh, one of the things that I always hear when I tell people we moved here from Denver is, why in the world would you move to Milledgeville or to Milledgeville from Denver? My question is, why not? Why, why not? Like, I, I like it here. My wife and I, we love it here. Do you know what Denver has? Cold. It has cold. Have you ever, have you ever taken 20 minutes to dress your kids to go outside and play, for them to go outside for five minutes, in order to come inside and take 20 minutes to get them all dried off and warmed up and make hot chocolate, and, you know? It's a pain. Have you ever shoveled three feet of snow? It's not fun. Like, it's, it's seriously not fun. We, <laughs> no, we, we love it. Um, we, we love Milledgeville. The reason we moved here is because of Northridge. Like, we're excited to be here. I think that, that for me, as I was looking for my next step of serving God and how we could do that best and what was best for our family, Northridge was a great fit, and it's been a great fit, and we're really excited for the future of Northridge, and I really hope you are too, um, because this is an amazing place. Yeah, give it. But let me introduce you to my family really quick. I didn't do this last time because we had a great service planned, and my kids are cute. Like, once you see this picture, you're not going to hear anything else I have to say. But look at these kids. Like, seriously. This is my wife, Lindy. Uh, we've been married nine years now. Um, and this is Sophia, our oldest. She is six. She, if you meet her out in the hallway, she is going to be your best friend immediately. Like, seriously. This next one is the opposite. This is Evelyn. Now, she looks super cute and smiley here. When you meet her, she is going to have a scowl on her face. And it's going to take her about 30 minutes to warm up to you. And then this is my son, Titus James. He's somewhere in between the two of you. Like, he's a little bit standoffish, but they'll be your best friend. But we, they, they definitely run the gambit. Um, but now you know why uh, I didn't show them to you. Now, something else you need to know about me, uh, I love Thanksgiving. Like, it is the best holiday of all of them. Any time that you can just sit around and enjoy the three Fs, family, football, and food, you're set. Like, kids, I know you think Christmas is great, you get all the gifts and stuff, but someday you're going to have to buy the gifts. Not as great, I promise you. But when you can sit with your family and friends, like, it's great. There's, there's always a battle, though. There's always that other person, right? My wife. She thinks Christmas should start the day after Halloween. And so there is a battle in my family between what is right and what is sin. <laughs> then can, can we be honest here? And so just, it, it's about justice. Thanksgiving should have its right place. It's, it's just place in the world. Can I get an amen, right? That's right. There are lots of saved people in here, I believe. But it's, it's a fight. And that is probably the most roundabout way I could get to what we're talking about today. We're talking about justice. 
And justice is something that we all like, not so much for ourselves, but we like justice. Just think about the last time somebody wronged you, right? They cut you off in traffic, or your boss spoke down to you, your friend said something to you that, that bothered you. Like, you wanted vengeance. You wanted uh, things to be made right. You wanted restoration, right? And that's because our God is a God of justice. That, that's why we're made this way. Our God is that way. So now today, we're going to talk about this idea. Um, and, and this is an idea that's the word I was given is one that sometimes when you hear it, you just tune out the rest of the message. And so I just want to prep you that even though this word is churchy and legalese and, and kind of one of those words that you, you don't like, it's simple. I'm going to break it down for you to be the most simple word ever. So don't tune me out. This word is atonement, and it simply means a payment for a wrong. Justice has been met. And what does this generally look like for you and I? What does this look like? There's, there's basically four levels of atonement. And the very first one is just a verbal apology. I'm sorry. Or if you have a four-year-old like me, I'm sorry. Or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like parents, you know the difference in these two, right? One, like, oh, I have to say sorry, I'm not really sorry. The other one is like, ooh, I'm going to get in trouble. I better say sorry as fast as I can so they don't get me in trouble. Like, you know these, right? And it's a start. Like, it's a good start, but it really doesn't atone for much, does it? It doesn't change anything. So you've got to go to the next level. And then the next level is, is penalty and punishment. And I don't know about you. My parents were creative in their punishment. So... When I got punished, it was TV. They took TV away from me, which is creative, yes. Not really. What they did that was creative is they put a lock on the back of the TV. Like, you remember those old tube TVs? Apparently, you can put a lock on it, and they could turn off the TV, and I couldn't, the remote wouldn't work, the buttons wouldn't work. Like, that was creative. For us now, as we're older, it's generally fines, you know, prison, and this is what atonement is, but it doesn't really work, right? Because we are... Sneaky. When I was that kid with the TV locked, guess what I did? I learned how to unlock it. I got a paper clip and I learned how to pick a lock so I could watch TV. What, we try to find ways to A, not get caught, not get the punishment, or B, how to make that punishment not, not really affect us so much. So it's not, not terribly effective at atonement, is it? So we have to go to the next level. The next level is guilt and self-inflicted punishment. This is, this is where I know I've done something wrong. I, I know that I've broken the bond. I just don't know what to do about it. And so I, I kind of hurt myself. I punished myself. Back in the day, they had things called indulgences. This was old-time churchies. They had indulgences. You could pay money, and they would give you a piece of paper, and it says, you're forgiven of your sins. Not biblical, okay? Doesn't work like that. Now, if you want to try it, there are offering boxes here. You want to drop a 20 in on your way out, you know, you're more than welcome to try. We also had things called self-flagellation, where people would take whips and they would hit themselves and try to make themselves feel better. Not so much different than what we are today. We're a bit more creative today, but we self-demean ourselves. We put ourselves down, literal harming of ourselves, right? We got that ache inside and we don't know what to do about it. We're not that different than the past, are we? 
But even this, if we're honest with ourselves, is pretty selfish, because it's about me. How do I make myself feel better? How do I make me feel about myself? It's not really about restoring of any relationship. So we, we need to go somewhere deeper. And the final stage is repentance and restoration. And this is our goal. This is what we hope for in atonement, that, that what was broken is brought back to right, that, that that relationship can be reunited and connected. And so here's our sermon in a sentence. The goal of atonement is the restoration of relationships. The goal of atonement is the restoration of shit. Righting the wrongs that's happened and reconnecting that relationship. For the people of God, for the Israelites, this was a big deal. Like this was their entire sacrificial system. From the very beginning, from where you see Adam and Eve, all the way through all the patriarchs, this is it, Adam and Eve, they sin. They break that relationship with God. What happens? God clothes them with an animal skin. That means an animal had to die. Blood had to be spilled in order for them to literally cover their shame. You see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, all the way to you get to, to Moses. You have the Passover lamb. And then Moses codifies this. You can read this in Leviticus if you want to. It's very boring, I promise. And you, you can see how the sacrificial system was made for you and I to restore that relationship with God. And in essence, all of it got codified into a single day, their highest of holy days, called the Day of Atonement. You may have heard it called Yom Kippur. This was the highest holy days for them. Where this was the only day the priest could go into the, the Holy of Holies, the most sacred part of the temple, the tabernacle, only day he could do it. And he could only do it after he was richly purified. He had to go through this whole system of cleansing and purification. And if he did it wrong, he could be killed. He would die immediately upon entering. Like, that's, that's kind of crazy. Let me, you can read about this in, in Leviticus 16 if you want to, but I'm going to sum it up for you. So first, the high priest, he would bathe, and he put on special clothes, and then he would take a bull, and he would sacrifice the bull for the sins of himself and his family. He'd take the blood from that bull, and he would sprinkle some onto the Ark of the Covenant. Then he'd bring two goats, First goat was killed on behalf of the, for the sins of the Israelites. And take the blood from that, and they would sprinkle it onto the Ark of the Covenant. And then you take the goat, the second goat. It's called the scapegoat. And he'd lay his hands on the goat, and he'd confess all the sins of Israel, their wrongdoings, their, their wickedness, their evil, and they would take it, and they would send it out into the wilderness, far, far away. You get where I'm going, right? Fulfilled. Our whole sermon series is fulfilled. What you see, what you just heard, is the cross. Like, if you haven't arrived there yet, uh, open your Bible. Our whole sermon series is talking about how God, from the very beginning, from creation, had a plan in place, because he knew we were going to mess up, had a plan in place to bring us back into right relationship with him. And with Jesus, we see this coming into fruition. We see the temporary becoming permanent, the vision, reality, the imperfect to perfect. And I love how the, the writer of Hebrews wraps this up for us. Like, if you have your Bibles, you have your phones, you want to turn those on, now's the time to do that. And go ahead and turn to Hebrews 10. We're going to be camping out in Hebrews 10 the rest of this message. But we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. 
We think maybe John Mark, we're not sure. But he was clearly a Jew writing to Jews about how Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament and made it real in Jesus. So we're going to start verse 1. The law is only a shadow, I love that word, shadow, of the good things that are to come. Not the realities themselves, for, for this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty about their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's Jesus. It's Jesus that fulfills this idea of atonement. It's a shadow. It's a shadow of things to come. Man, I love that, that, that verse. That, uh, it could never make perfect. Did you notice that? We're going to continue in Hebrews 10. He talks more, so I'm going to jump down to verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. And again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, read Jesus there, when this priest, when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Like, this is great head knowledge. Like, I love this, this stuff. This is great head knowledge. But at some point, we have to take this head knowledge, and we have to bring it down here to our hearts and make it real for us. So what does this mean for us? What does all this mean for us? Well, very, very first one, you've probably already arrived here, but we've got we've to establish this, is number one, atonement brings forgiveness. Very simple, basic. Atonement brings forgiveness. And I, I say this, it seems silly for me to say this, but I, you have to know, you have to fully grasp this for us to grasp the other things that I need to tell you. You have to understand that when you say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm trusting in you, and I'm trusting in your work, and I want to do what's right, and I want to turn things around, that yes, you are completely, 100% covered. This isn't, this isn't a sacrifice where the blood kind of covers over and hides your sin for a while. This is complete, absolute washing where it is no longer in you. You are complete. There is nothing standing between you and God. Like, that's incredible, but maybe once we grasp that, we can understand my second point. Is atonement brings confidence. Atonement brings confidence. We continue, verse 19. Therefore, that just means because of these things that we've read. Brothers and sisters, since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and by a living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilt, guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Do you hear that? Because of Christ's work on the cross, you and I can approach the throne of God any time we want. Literally, there is nothing standing between us and God. You remember the, that sacri- the, the, the whole sequence of things the priest had to do to enter the most holy place? Like, I would be terrified. Like, what if I messed something up? What if I didn't do something just right and I walk in there? Am I going to be killed? 
You and I don't have to worry about that. We have the most perfect high priest, Jesus, who has done the work for us perfectly for all time. And now you and I can enter the most holy place. We can enter the, the throne of God any time we want with confidence. Like, that's amazing. But sometimes we're a little forgetful. Sometimes we don't quite grasp it, do we? Because it seems too amazing. And so over and over and over again in the New Testament, the writers tell us about the assurance that we have and the confidence that we can have. I'm going to give you a sampling, but there are far too many for me to give you all of them. But just listen to these. John 5:24. This is Jesus speaking. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who have believed in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. I could go on and on, but you have to know you can have confidence in your relationship with God, that there is nothing between you. You can be so confident in your standing with him, confident in your relationship with him, confident in your salvation, confident in your freedom, confident in your position, confident in your future. Atonement brings confidence. Now, last point, atonement brings motivation. See this as we continue Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Because we have been forgiven, because we have this confidence, we are now motivated to do love and good deeds. And beyond that, to encourage other believers to do acts of love and good deeds. But then this, this verse, not giving up meeting together, man, that just strikes me right now. As a church, the global church, the, the American church, we are still only about 60% pre-COVID attendance. That's not just Northridge. This is the church across the country. Guys, the church is the bride of Christ. There is something about being in a room together with other believers that is so different than being online. Like, I get it. I understand there are people that need to be cautious. I get that, and absolutely stay home. But we need to be encouraging others to be in the body that's why we at Northridge love community groups. There is something about sitting around in a group of, of 10 or so where you can just pour out your heart. Like, this past message stirred this up in me, and I'm struggling with this. Or my family, man, we're going through a really hard time. Pray for me, please. There is something about being surrounded by believers that is so important and, and cannot be taken for granted. So let us not give up on meeting together like some have done. A true grasp of atonement leads us to community. But even more than that, it motivates us to be holy. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, 
but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. He keeps talking, but then he winds up with this, this verse. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's kind of a scary verse. You and I live in a tension. There is on one side where we have this joy. Oh my goodness, what has he done for me? He has, he has healed me. He has made me new. He's changed me. And at the same time, oh man, this is God of the universe who created everything. And he gave this gift how dare I even consider spitting on it? There's a healthy tension that you and I live in, that we're somewhere in the middle. When I was in college, uh, I had a benefactor who gave me a couple thousand dollars a semester so I could go to school. And I was so incredibly grateful that I wanted to do what was right by her. Like, I wanted to do what I could in order for, for her to be honored by that gift. And at the same time, I was afraid if I didn't do a good enough job that that money would be taken away and I would have to pay for this myself. There's a tension that you and I live in and it's a good tension. But it drives us, atonement drives us to be holy, to live holy lives. This is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Which should also motivate us to share it. Like, guys, can you imagine, we're coming up on Christmas, can you imagine a better gift than the one that we have? There is literally no better gift that you and I have than the gift of atonement, of being changed, of being made right with the God of the universe. You and I are fallen, broken people. I know a lot of good people. I'm not one of them. I know a lot of good people who are Christians, not Christians. And it doesn't matter how good you think you are. When you compare yourself to God, you're not good enough. You, we need a savior. We need somebody beyond us. And at some point, when we hold on to that, like, I don't get it. Why would you do that? You have friends and coworkers and family members that that need this gift that you have. Uh, Penn Jelliet, do you, you might not know his last name. I didn't know his last name until I Googled it. It's from Penn and Teller. He's the one who talks. So Penn had uh, this video blog that he had, and he tells a story about after one of his shows, a believer came to him and said, you know, gave him a Bible and just talked a little bit about his, his faith. And Penn t says, you know, I appreciated that. Like, he's an atheist, so Penn's an atheist. He said, I appreciated it. Like, he was kind to me, um, we had a good conversation, but I understand why he did it. He didn't change my mind, but I understand why he did it. Because if you are a believer, if you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, for eternal life, why would you not share that? He's like, if, if there were a truck bearing down on your friend, would you not yell at them to get out of the way of that truck? He's like, I get it. If you believe this, then why wouldn't you do that? This is an atheist talking. He gets it. Do you know there's a study just done, only 60%, uh, actually, no, no, almost 70% almost of Christians do not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Like, that breaks my heart. 
The Bible's very clear. If that's something that you believe, it's wrong. Jesus made it very clear. There is one way to heaven, and you and I, we have it. There is a truck bearing down on our friends and our family and our coworkers, and are we going to not tell them about it? You and I should be like Oprah. There's a car for you, a car for you. There's Jesus for you. There's a Jesus for you. But instead, a lot of us are like Scrooge McDuck, and we just keep it to ourselves. Like, that's the most selfish thing we can do. I have one goal in life, and I hope it's your goal as well. I have one goal in life. I have many other sub-goals, like caring for my family and all that, and doing a good job at work. I have one goal in life, and it's to make heaven a more crowded place. I hope that is your goal as well. Because if you are a believer in this room, this is how I'm going to close. If, if you are a believer in this room, my hope for you is that your understanding of how Jesus worked throughout history, from the beginning of time all the way to Jesus, that your understanding of how God orchestrated all of this so you and I can be saved motivates you to share it with others. I hope that confidence that you have to approach the throne of God encourages you to give it to others. Give it away. But if you're not there yet, if you're in this room right now, and you're not there yet, now's your moment. Right now's your time. I, I, I've heard the excuses. I'm not ready. I'm waiting for the right moment. I'm not good enough. Those are junk excuses. There is never going to be the right time. There is never going to be, you're never going to be good enough. That's the whole point of Jesus coming down to earth, is to cover our sins and make us right so we can do that. You're never going to be there. So come now. This is your moment. You're not guaranteed another moment. I can't promise you you'll be here tomorrow. Don't wait. After, after I pray, after communion, if you are ready to make that that decision. You're ready to get baptized. There'll be pastors up here ready to pray with you. Come talk to me after out there. I don't care. Let's get this done. Let's do this. God, we come before you so incredibly grateful for your plan. How long before Jesus came to this earth, how you brought us salvation how you were planning a way for us to be right with you. God, for us to restore that relationship with you. So God, we pray as believers, God, we pray that you make this real in us, that you give us this authentic motivation, you give us this authentic confidence in our relationship with you, that we do something with it. That we share it, God. God, if, if there is somebody in this room who is just waiting for their moment with you. God, we pray, change their heart, bring them to you right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at